0: Uh, Hi guys, I am Hiral Mehta, I am a contemporary artist and also the founder of God of Onions podcast and today we have an amazing chef Vidit um, Arun who is the head head chef at Sofle. and as you guys are here let me introduce you guys to God of Onions. God of Onions is a platform and a community where we interview people from various genres businesses, music, feminism, art and much more. So let me tell you guys more about our guest. So Vidit Arun. So from loving motorcycles and taking long road trips on bikes to making flavoursome cuisine and to whipping delicious dessert, Vidit Arun is one of the most passionate chefs we've ever come across who deals with the concept of food rich with techniques but not intimidating to eat. No. Uh, so let's know about his perspective and let me add him to the live. Hi, with it. Um, hey. I, all right. So um, I'm going to start with my questions now. So my first question is, um, there is a vast dichotomy in Indian food and French food. Do you think the production of French food in India is shifting and evolving the taste culture in India?
1: Uh, So yeah, I think uh, the food and culture in India has uh, really come a long way. And I think uh, what's happening is that people are now uh, very uh, eager to try certain different cuisines and different cultures. And I think Bombay is a melting pot of cultures on its own merit, quite frankly. So you have different uh, classes, creeds, religions, countries, people from all over the world living in Bombay. So that kind of naturally creates a need for Bombay to be a little more forward-facing. It creates a need for Bombay to be a little more experimental. And so because of which, even though the Bombay, uh, like Indian food and French food are poles apart, like absolute Ooh. opposites, but uh, the connection that the food will find in, in Bombay was still be very good because people want to try the new cuisines and try the new food. Ooh. So I think that is there.
0: That's amazing with it. That's amazing. Uh, That's lovely. So let me go to my next question. And I think it's quite Mm. amazing speaking about French food because, you know, even French food is slow. And as you said, it comes from various cultures. So uh, let's go to our next question. My next question is, Times Food has commended your, uh, um, I'm sorry, (laughs) Bob Wellington again. A huge difference from Indian cuisine. what made you choose such a different cuisine
1: um, so like French food is opposite like I rightly said earlier as well French food is the is like the foreign cousin of Indian food, so it's a- absolutely opposite oh, lovely. Indian food is
0: <laughs> yes so Indian
1: food is like uh, loud, vibrant, colorful, and just so assertive in its way in a very good way. And uh, French food is more mellow, more nuanced, more balanced, not, not balanced per se, but more like it has accents of flavor rather than dominating flavors. Indian cuisine tends to have much more uh, assertive flavor profiles and French food will have a little more accents of flavors. So for me, the intrigue was that this is a challenge of its own because my palate is being an Indian. I was intrigued to kind of learn to develop a palate French food and all things French, per se. So, it kind of came on the back of that. And also, certain chefs back in the decades ago, Paul boucou Escoffier, really put a certain uh, base work for the cuisine to kind of live in. And that really allowed a certain uh, next generations to kind of build on that and really grow the cuisine up. So, uh, for all these reasons, I was really vested to learn the craft of French cuisine. And, uh, also, there's a huge kitchen culture that revolves around French cuisine. Like, uh, it's the epicenter, right, of how kitchen culture is viewed globally. French cuisine is how it's viewed out of that lens. It's how it's always viewed. So all these things, for someone who's young, you know, you're a young young kid, trying to, like, learn the food, learn the cuisine. So you're attracted to, you're attracted to all these things. So because of which, I lean into it. And as I grew into the cuisine, and grew into the entire idea of learning French, what I actually learn that once you, like, acquire the skill sets that French cuisine can offer you, uh, you can actually, you are, you're allowed You kind of, you empower yourself with the ability to work across cuisines because you're empowered with such a, such a fundamental, strong skill set, courtesy French cuisine. So for all these reasons, I think I was really invested to learn the craft.
0: Wow. I think that's amazing. Uh, That's well said. Uh, While you said that, you know, French is uh, far cousin from Indian cuisine and, you know, uh, coming from various, um, you know, genres of food and French, uh, you know, as you said that it's a low, uh, I mean, a slow food you have to enjoy while you eat it. I think well said. Well said. So I'm going to go to my next question. So um, before I go to my next question, Zoro the Lost Mario Mo, he uh, or oh, she asks any tips for new bakers on how to make an authentic French croissant.
1: I wouldn't even dare commenting on this one. Uh, but really? <laughs> jokes, aside, jokes aside, so croissant is like uh, religion, right? In France, and French a lot like us take the food very seriously, and. Uh, in terms of making croissant for a home baker, I'll tell you the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is getting really good butter and getting really good flour. These two things is basically what will define a very good croissant. A technique and a technical skill set required to make croissant, that's acquirable. Of course you can learn that. Anyone can learn how to bounce a ball so you can learn how to make croissant, of course. But it's more the struggle of getting the right ingredients. You basically need butter, which is very low in moisture and very good butter. Non unsalted, really good quality butter. In India, you, and I think that's something that India is going to witness very soon coming years, that is uh, certain very rudimentary things like milk, butter, cream. I think that's going to get redefined very soon because there's a lot of consumers who really want the better stuff. They want the better butter. They want the better cream. So for a croissant, you really need, to begin with, really good butter, really good strength flour, and uh, also you need a very cold room to work in. You can't work in your Bombay is humid. Bombay is eight, Ooh. nine months of the humid. So you, can do, you can only work on a croissant. You can only make a croissant if the, the temperature controlled room. So like an AC in the room is required. Pretty much that's why all the bakeries will always be in AC. So that's something to begin with. And in terms of tips, I think the better authorities in YouTube, who are much better than me, <laughs> So I am no one on that, I would really suggest sourcing the ingredients really getting that right and then learn the technique and yeah that should be it
0: amazing so there seems to be a lot of uh, coffee and croissant lovers here uh so uh, yes a good cup of coffee to go with the croissant even i would love to have that (laughs) absolutely that's amazing and okay so let me go to my next question In a city that thrives on heavy food, such as street food, masalas, and spices, what is your perspective on the shift in cooking, eating, drinking habits of India?
1: I think around the millennia, there was a huge pivot in how India started eating, it changed a lot. I grew up in a family where we went out to eat with specific purposes, right? Birthdays, anniversary, Mm. promotions. It, It was a lot like that family, right? That's how I grew up at least. And uh, curtsy millennia, and the, there was a definitely a certain amount of uh, corporate boom in the India was at the cusp of corporate boom in the thousands, and uh, the dining culture changed a lot. A lot of restaurants came into of the offering that redefined how uh, dining is viewed, and gave a huge aspirational value to a lot of consumers of how to dine and where to dine. So, I think Indian food is inherently like we discussed: vibrant, loud. And assertive in its uh, how it stands, but I think we live in a world now that's very globally connected, and it's all it's all bang in the center. There's no more like a huge spectrum anymore. Anyone who's here, and anyone who's say in Alaska or Canada, it's so easy for me to know learn about a culture. I can learn about a culture in depth, in detail, in one hour flat. So that really empowers you. So that empowers your curiosity, right? That empowers my curiosity. If I'm curious about something, if I'm curious about a certain cuisine or a culture, I I can deep dive into that culture. And a lot of people now kind of with all these different uh, uh, subjects, like food being one, beverages being one, and anthropology being its own entire subject, they really kind of allow countries to kind of come together and explore each other's uh, leanings of cuisine and culture. And a lot of the colonization that a lot of the uh, first world countries like France, et cetera, they left a huge imprint for the, for the better on a lot of the colonized countries. Yes. So all these things, I think, really leave India today in a place whereby we are much more eager and keen to try new things, new, new cuisine. New cuisines, new beverages, and there's a huge cultural shift that's coming. And it's a very interesting time to be in the food space, quite frankly, because wow. there are so many people trying to do new things
0: wow that's beautiful i think uh, that's a beautiful thing to actually uh, you know someone's also said also architecture and various uh, and yeah. also art of course also fashion also food. wow i mean the way globalization is happening i think a lot of cultures a lot of amazing of you know it's a fusion of everything and we yeah. have everything on up plate or everything's in Google or in our phone today. So, right. hi, uh, how are you? Amazing, amazing. I've got super amazing people joining this live today. So, yes. So, uh, I'm going to ask my next question. Um, So, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, uh, food where, you know, what kind of genre of food do you like or... What kind of, um, you know, food do you love cooking the most? And also, um, would you ever consider trying a combination of, uh, you know, different uh, foods together as you were speaking about, you know, the global where, you know, you actually getting food from various places where you spoke about Argentina and you spoke about various other places apart from French. Which are the other cuisines which is of your interest?
1: Uh, off it, I've been really needing to learn about Vietnamese food. Oh,
0: and, lovely. Uh,
1: actually, yeah. And actually, before COVID came around, I was scheduled to fly out to Vietnam. A nice big holiday planned out. Wow. <laughs> but COVID came along. <laughs> that happened. But oh, no. uh, Vietnamese, Vietnamese food culture, something I really want to learn. I don't know enough about. Frankly, I have so many Shat fans who have strong bearings in Asian cuisine. And I am absolutely a novice. I don't know shit about Asian food. So I really want to kind of, uh, I'm in a place I really want to learn about Asian food cultures and I really want to start with Vietnam because again, I think all countries that have been colonized, they invariably have a very rich and a very interesting food culture spectrum because they've been influenced by other colonies back in the day and that native country invariably makes it their own. Invariably, native countries always make the influence their own. Even in India, the way Uh, tea and all the other things the way now have your masala chai, right? It's such an Indian tangent to what British has got into India. And that's why I feel such kind of
0: countries have a very
1: rich and very interesting food culture. So Vietnam is something I'm really keen on learning about and trying in terms of food. So yeah.
0: Lovely. I think uh, that's amazing. So someone um, has asked over here uh, which book should I prefer to for bakery and pastry? And also he has asked, if you want to make a career in France, what steps you can give us? Okay. Um, but I think with it, uh, he actually uh, is the head chef at Souffle, where he has a fusion of food, but I think I'll give it to you with it to answer these questions.
1: So, uh, what was the question again? I saw a lot of so, uh, career. question...
0: The first question was, which book should I prefer for bakery and pastry?
1: Right, right.
0: And the second question was, if we want to make a career in France, what steps uh, you can give us?
1: Career in France? Yes. Oh, like you want to basically learn how to cook in France? Cook in
0: France.
1: France. So, for the answer for the book bit, a lot of my friends are hardcore bookworms when it comes to... uh, food and like i have friends who have like bookshelves of just cooking books and cookbooks i am personally someone who is always taken of the internet i am someone who is always taken on the internet and i kind of believe in not learning recipes i never have i kind of believe in learning concepts so i encourage people who want to learn bakery history learn concepts some very rudimentary concepts of how and what of baking and uh I don't really have any book, per se, which I can like tell you as a go-to for bakery and pastry. And there are many. Honestly, if you Google it, you'll get like 10 best idealistic ones. But I would just encourage you, if you want to get into breads, for example, maybe start with learning what really is a bread, how does it really work. And uh, bakery is a lot of science, by the way. Bakery is a lot of science. Bakery is way more precise than cooking, unlike cooking. So you want to kind of learn this conceptually more than recipe. Because conceptual learning curves are much faster in terms of how you acquire them than acquiring straight recipes in learning curve. That's the first question. That's the second answer for the working in France bit. Uh, so I think what works really well for people is that they uh, uh, basically go to college and say or say there's another very good famous school in France. I forget the name right now. So those two schools are there. You can go and learn there the cooking bit and post your college you are given placements you basically you get job offers
0: so that's how you can
1: have your first segue into your first job in france in uh, in, so but the only catch here is it costs a bit it's a bit rich on the pocket so if you have the money burn within capacity if you can afford the money burn, go for it smartest call to take go down in france and uh, basically yeah that's the smartest thing to do
0: I think that's amazing. And as Tilika says, we have so many dishes and ingredients coming from different places. I think that's true. Would you like to add something to that with it?
1: Uh, In terms of the influences within India or in countries at large?
0: So, ideally, the ingredients coming from various different places. Yes.
1: Of course, there is so much. I think Harsh has a very good point here, marry a (laughs) friend.
0: (laughs) <laughs> that's uh, okay.
1: that's a smart yes. one bro
0: <laughs>
1: so no basically uh, I think in terms of ingredients if you in fact look in India right now there is Fiona right lovely uh, entrepreneur she has a farm called Lishka Farms it's based in Coaching and she's growing capers it's the first Ooh. Indian farm that grows capers and I've tried her caper oh. berries I've been working with her many years she possibly has better care berries than a lot of other brands that I've ever tried Oh, wow. So, I mean, in terms of how ingredients have traveled across countries, there is no one who can ever say that their cuisine is protected. That nothing has influenced the cuisine. Uh, it's just never going to be possible. I think cuisine is such a perceptive and such a non-precise subject. You can never say that this is an ingredient. So because tomatoes, onions, a lot of it is not inherently Indian. It came to India, right? Okay. So even in terms of... Uh, uh, Avocados, if I'm correct. That was not inherently well, Indian. India has found its ways of making avocado and finding, like making it, propagating it more. So, yeah, I think it's, again, it's a very big melting pot of things and there is no precise binary answer per se.
0: Wow. I think uh, that answers uh, the question, tilaka So um, I'm going to go to my question now. So my question is, how have local farmers contributed to the revolution of how chefs work with products?
1: I think uh, this is a question that is a question every young chef typically asks in, at this current juncture. And because a lot of chefs, a lot like me, are consciously trying to work with people who have certain same ethos and ideologies. And gone are the days of importing everything. Gone are the days of having a purchase manager mode manages your purchases. Uh, we live in a world where now in India a lot of, even like, it doesn't have to be fancy, very simple restaurants are so chef driven, uh, but the chef actually chooses and decides who he's gonna work with for what. And I think it starts with that, right? When a chef asks that question, that like, I want to work with someone like this for this product. So you kind sure. of look for that person. And because there is a demand, there is automatically a supply generation. So now you actually have in India so many people who have had rich careers in corporate world, and they have said, "Hey, I don't like this. I think I want to work with food. I want to. I want to do farming, or I want to do. I want to be a farmer, or I want to have. I want to rear chickens or whatever." And when these kind of people, a lot of them that I work with, and a lot of chefs right now work with, when they kind of come to the uh, market and basically go like, hi, this is me, that's a product. And that's the face behind the product. And that's the big part, right? It's not the brand. It's the face who is giving you that product. And if I'm the chef and there is a, if someone is a farmer or a vendor, and because I have a direct connect with him, say, this equation is a dynamic. Beyond business is dynamic now. And that really so- furthers the narrative. It furthers the conversation about how and what food you eat. As a chef, when I am putting food on the table, when I make my menu, I make it a point to mention that it's a free-range chicken or it's a local cheese. And because there is pride in that. For me, there's pride in the fact that I'm using a local camembert or I'm using a local chicken. There's pride for me in that, right? So when you do that, you basically further the narrative. You further the narrative how local produce is by no measure lesser than imported. And that changes how these people, the back end of the industry really impact and affect. Because once we, once the restaurant industry gives them an outlet to grow their business, scale their product, they're able to go to the end consumer directly. And that so, opens up a spectrum of produce and product that the consumer can have. So today, if you go to Musa's basket of food hall, there are so yeah. many cheeses and a lot of them are local. There's so many kombucha, so so many are local. I mean, so much of the product list of SKU food hall is local. And all of wow. that happens because there is exposure in the market now the market knows better the market wants to try it so they i think that they influence possibly in the biggest way of how the pivot happens for the consumer base in terms of food culture
0: wow i think uh, uh, that's amazing i think uh, we have so many things already which uh, you know we can easily have today which we could not which you know it was few years ago where we could not have such uh, ingredients exactly. or uh, such things in our hands prior so I think that's amazing with the way things have globalized and the way uh, you know we have everything in our hands today where you can we, you can learn anything from YouTube to Google or you can actually find things where you can actually produce things I think that's quite inspiring and you know yes it's truly amazing where you can actually you know stay at a restaurant that you know this is grown locally and I think that's an amazing thing. So, yeah, I think, okay, so I'm going to go to my last question. And um, after that, I'll go uh, to the question where I'm going to pin that comment, when Love17 to date has asked. So prior to him, I'll ask my question first. Uh, so my last, uh, I mean, not the last question, but the second last question is, uh, what advice would you have for chefs who want to try experimental food but are afraid of the feedback of the people
1: so the, it's a it's a contradictory question fundamentally yeah you <laughs> do experimental you cannot be scared of critique. The point in True. day when i do experimental if i so when I make a plate which i know is a little out there I, by default, am prepared for people saying I don't like it. And I think it's a matter of, so when you cook, when you learn to cook, when you kind of forge a career in the industry and become a chef and all those things, you have to come to a place in your career where you basically learn that there is a certain way in which your consumer market eats. And you can, of course, push your mark in your life and you can explore the most craziest foods in the world but your food has to have relevance to the consumer. And if I say I want experimental food, if it's on my own pleasure or my family's pleasure, great. If it's for as a business model, if I'm looking to experimental food as a business model, so that's a very big uphill battle that you choosing to take on. So, which I'm not saying you can't take on, by all measures, take it on. But remember the inherent limitations that come with it. So there is no way that you cannot be, uh, uh, you you will not get criticism. You will not get critique for that stuff. Experimental food fundamentally is built because you will have critique for it. And the finest restaurants in the world right now who do so much of avant-garde cuisine, they are experimental to high heavens. So because they're in a position, in a country, in a place where they can attract that consumer to come and say, hey, try our very cool experimental food. It works. Is India there yet? I do not think so. At the same time, I encourage and I really believe people who want to push dark definitely should because that's how changes come around. Changes come around because someone pushes things out. So yeah, I mean, don't be afraid of experimental cuisine. Try it if you want to, but don't be in a place where you think you won't get criticism for it. You will get criticism for it. It's not obvious.
0: So I think from what you have said with it, I can take three pointers out of that. Firstly, is a good amount of research on who you're giving the food to or you know on what person can experiment in and second is yeah second is um okay so it the brand value matters the brand value matters a lot sometimes but sometimes it does not but it's somewhere don't you think that it is a little easier if you have a name in the industry and if you have experimented something in food and people more, are more accepting towards it?
1: Of course. Yes. I think you summarize in a very smart way. I think, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, uh, so it's, you have to first of all create a moat around yourself. And that's True. why forging a consumer base that, that understands yes. what you're doing. And they True. get who you are. Once True. you have established that, you can basically True. then one fine day be like, okay, I'm gonna start a new business now. And I'm gonna be experimental with certain things. And I'm gonna be a little bit edgy with what I do. And then you can again invite your consumer base in. And they will come in because they will, they fundamentally believe that this guy knows how to cook and we like him. So you have to to basically forge a market base before you come out doing some crazy stuff. Because otherwise you're the madman screaming on the road. Or you can be a poet you know you can be a poet if you your just, words have
0: yes right <laughs> like, yes
1: so
0: yeah i think uh, that's uh, wonderfully said and the third point which i took from what you said is that challenge is i think everywhere and uh, experiments is something which you should always do so um you know from your journey or you speaking from your journey like where you want to experiment from vietnamese to even the french cuisine i think um it's an ocean and expect without experimenting I think nothing is possible anywhere. Absolutely. Yes. Now I'm gonna to go to Le Chef 17 Cake to Bake. His name is Salman. So yes, Salman, I'm gonna read your question. So, Chef, I would be doing a course from Academy of Pastry Arts Mumbai, an advanced course. So I need some tips from you after that where I should work. I want to work in France, so please can you give me your ideas?
1: So okay.
0: Oops, I have you, un- yeah, one the question is what happened? I'm so sorry, I un- am <laughs> it. <laughs> yes. Yes, this is the hmm. question.
1: Academy okay, pastry has a number, so I need some tips from you of that version. of work. So, uh, what works also is apply to 200 restaurants in France. Okay, apply to 200 of them, and just be incessant, be persistent. You to, if you want to be a chef in your career, learn to be persistent. Learn to not give up, because that is fundamentally the toughest part of I think any career, perhaps. Any career. So, so basically. Apply to 200, 300, 500,000 restaurants in France. And even gun for an apprenticeship, gun for a simple apprenticeship, gun for the absolute bottom. Because the logic is you want to get the foot in the door. Once you get the foot in the door, unless you land an apprenticeship, you can get, so getting an apprenticeship is not that tough. You get an apprenticeship for, say, uh, two months or three months or whatever it would be. You will have to, however, bear the cost of your flight, your stay, and all those things. So a money burn is inevitable. Understand something. Uh, at the cost of of being very, very uh, blunt about exactly how it is, it's a third world country versus a first world country. The economic disparity is obviously there. So if you're gonna move from India to France to do work, to learn something, you will have to accommodate the money burn. So you have to go into that mindset and that financial power, of course. And once you get there, you work for two months, three months, and you work your ass off. And if you're good enough, the very good chance restaurants do offer Basically, based yes, on your work, they will offer you a work visa. That like, okay, we want you to hold you back as a commie for one year or whatever. I know of cases where people have stayed back in foreign countries on visas and work in restaurants on cash basis as well, just to get more experience. So I think it is. It kind of boils down to how how driven and how much of an idiot you are with your own passion. And people are ready to push things, push a lot of. Uh, uh, boundaries and laws because they want to learn something and they want to really acquire that and they will do anything to acquire that. So you want to work so, in France, I really encourage you to apply to a lot of restaurants and don't apply to fancy places. Apply to good, decent bistros. That's where a lot of Euro French food is made. Yeah, roadside bistros, roadside cafes. Go and work there. Go learn there because those bistros and cafes are run by like three chefs, four chefs. And you will learn the craft of multitasking as a true chef in those places. And all the fancy places, you will learn how to work with a tweezer, how to clean a leaf forever. But uh, like a, a salt of the earth cook is actually forged in highly precious situations. And, and then you have like three chefs, three cooks in a cafe or a bistro. And, you know, and there are bistros in France and Europe where the chefs are the pot wash also, they're everything. So you have to understand okay. that that's the grind you sign up for. And you want to take that adventure, go for it. I encourage everyone who does that. But be very aware that you'll have a lot of pushback and a lot of limitations along the way. So your persistence and your morale is of huge importance. And to summarize it, just apply. Apply to France, apply to restaurants, apply to beaches. apply to cafes. You know, normal, nothing crazy. Small places.
0: True. I think, uh, well said. I think that's quite inspiring. And yes, I think uh, a lot of persistence is needed. And uh, that's, I mean... Uh, while in your journey, you have reached here with a lot of persistence, I'm sure. And with a lot of hard work, I'm sure about it. So um, I'm going to uh, go to the next where Chef Harsh has said something. Um, creative dishes are for creative consumers who also get inspired with your thought process. But Safu's <laughs> size make you money. That's the sad truth.
1: <laughs> so he's a, he's a friend and I think he's right about this. It's, and, uh, it's food. So, so, so so what I learned in my years cooking in restaurants is that you have to learn the craft of balancing both, your ego and the consumer's needs.
0: Oh, you can yes. never cook for your
1: ego alone and you can never cook for consumer alone. If True. you will cook for your ego alone, no one's going to buy your food. If you cook for the consumer alone, you will lose the satisfaction of your work in a heartbeat. True. So when I make menus, when I do things, I always ensure that there is something for me on the menu and there's something for them on the menu. At the end of the day, cooking is really a craft, not an art or a science, it's a craft. It's a lot of touch and feel, it's hands-on, it is interactive style of working. And uh, people excel in this craft who generally love the the, the entire process of creating something. (laughs) And when you love something like that, naturally you're vested to constantly push yourself, push the boundaries of your knowledge, push what you create. And like he said, at that time, a truffle fries is going to be high selling price. (laughs) So as much as I would have a house cured on my souffle menu, I would also have a truffle fries on the menu. Because uh, comfort will always win. Pajamas will always win over sellators. Right?
0: Okay. (laughs) That's well said. Yes. Amazing. You
1: can't uh, beat that. And he's right. He's right. It's, it's true
0: it's true it's a sad truth but yes that's true uh okay so i'm going to go to my last question and uh, after this i may conclude i may open only one question uh, if anybody may want to ask but as we would be running out of the time and also our podcast listeners have a time limit of 45 minutes to 30 minutes that's where the attention span stays as well so um i'm going to ask my last question sure Um, My last question is, do you think it is necessary to study culinary to pursue it?
1: Absolutely not. In hindsight, now that I've done uh, uh, college and everything, and uh, you do not need to do any college to be a a chef. Uh, So the problem is, no one will take that route. You know why? Because everyone feels safer with a BA in their hand. And so, then being a chef. So, and also we live in India. Parents, they're gonna be like, "Fuck no! You need to get a degree, at least, at least work something." <laughs> so, but yeah, like you don't need to. Like honestly, get up, you go work in the kitchen. It's the, at the end of the day, it's the simplest shit. It's food. It's cooking. It's not at all rocket science. No matter how much a chef puts his food in a pedestal or his thing, we are possibly dealing and peddling the oldest craft in this world, which is making food. It's the oldest craft. So nothing about it is very complicated or fancy. Yes, it does get technical after a point. It can get technical, but that's a choosing. And the fact remains, you don't need any uh, uh, theoretical knowledge to acquire it because it's, it's all hands-on knowledge. It's a, it's a skill that involves hands. So theoretical knowledge is wasted. Hands-on knowledge is what's all that's required. So sure. I would encourage people instead to work in a restaurant for two months before joining a course. Because a lot of people, my industry, my batchmates, who have joined college with me, today, day and age, 89%, 90% of them are not in the industry. And that's no. the truth for everyone who does are not in the industry, they left industry, the industry, they left the left okay. industry. Because putting and in industry is a very tricky industry. It's a very uh, tricky place to be, how it works. So before you choose to say, I'm going to cook for a living, you basically want to get a sense of it and see what it feels like. Can I do it? People come out of colleges thinking that they're going to be holding tweezers and like very pretty plates, but that's the farthest thing from reality. You will grind for 16 hours a day doing absolutely mindless mumbo-jumbo. But the point of it really comes down to all that is instilled in you as a cook because consistency is the fundamental centerpiece of being a cook. If you can't be consistent, you are not a good cook. And talent is secondary in nature. Talent is so secondary in nature, right? So because of which it... uh, Basically, has no need for college. You want to be a good cook? Go and work for a good boss. Go and good work for a good chef. That'll be the best education you'll get, frankly Mm -hmm. speaking.
0: Lovely. Yeah, that's amazingly said. I think uh, that's quite inspiring with it. So I'm going to end my live now, as I said that it was last question. So um. Yes me conclude here so with it it has been so inspiring um, you know interviewing you it has been so comfortable interviewing you where you know understanding with you know the level of knowledge which you have and you know with the struggles which you have taken to come here or you've made it here is really huge and inspiring and you know I mean hats off um, that you know being persistent and becoming a head chef at souffle I think that's a huge thing and um, I think that you know after uh, you know interviewing you I'm sure it's one thirty-five right now and I'm gonna enjoy my meal next. I think it's the best interview I've had and at the right time before. my <laughs> Anyway, jokes apart but um, i'm sure with it this has been an amazing uh, interview with you and i'm sure that um, it has inspired me and i have learnt a lot from you and you're not only um, an amazing amazing cook but you're also very business savvy from you know um, whatever you have said. And I'm sure a lot of people over here can agree with me that, uh, you know, we have learned a lot from you. And thank you so much, guys, for being a part of this live and asking such amazing questions. I think um, it has been a wonderful live with you, Vidit. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was I an mean, absolute fun conversation. Loved it so much.
0: It was lovely. It was lovely. Genuinely, it was lovely. Thank you so much, Vidit.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.